So I've got this friend who's like a mechanical wizard, all right? He can fix pretty much anything that's broken. Uh, and so a couple years ago, I had major car trouble. I could not figure out what in the world was wrong with it. I took it to a couple of different places. They couldn't figure out what's wrong with it. I actually uh, took it to one local repair shop who shall remain nameless. Uh, but they were so bum-fuzzled by it. They called me, and I'm telling you, this is exactly what they said. They called me a couple days after I had taken them my car, and they said, and I quote, you better come get your car, Mr. Dodson, before we push it into the river. That's what they said, end quote. So no one knew what in the world was wrong with this thing, all right? So uh, while I tell my buddy about this, and you know, he's not a, he's not a car mechanic. Um, he's just really good with his hands. He can fix just about anything. And so I was talking to him about it. He said, you know what, man, just bring it over to my house. Bring it over to my garage, let me take a look at it. So I did. I had it towed to his house. Uh, and he had the problem diagnosed and solved within a couple hours. Now, he's not a professional car mechanic. And I, I took it to professionals. They had no clue what was wrong with it. He fixed it in a couple hours. So needless to say, I won't be taking my car anywhere else in the future. I know exactly where I'll be taking my car. Uh, I'll be taking it to my buddy. If you need his number, just see me after the service. Uh, pretty amazing, pretty amazing. Uh, so, uh, now why am I doing that? My car breaks down again, you know where I'm taking it. I'm taking it directly to him, right? Why? Well, because he's proven that he's trustworthy. He's proven that he knows what he's talking about, right? And so when someone proves themselves to me, they prove that they're trustworthy, well, that seals the deal. I'm going to them for that thing from now on. <laughs> right? It just makes sense. I'll listen to anything they have to say. Right? If my buddy says, hey, you know what? Uh, I think your car will run much better on grape juice than gasoline. I'll be like, okay, you're the genius. And so I'll head to the fridge, grab me the, some Welch's, and fill her up. If that's what he says, then I'm rolling with it. Because I don't know what I'm talking about. He's proven that he knows what he's talking about. So even the craziest suggestion that he makes, I'm just going to roll with it. Right? He's proven himself better than the professional mechanics. So if he says Welch's, then Welch's it is. We're going to give it a shot. Because no matter how crazy his suggestions are, I know that he's trustworthy. Now, having said that about my buddy, what about God? What about our Creator? You know, some of the things God tells us seem pretty downright crazy, too. Even crazier than Welch's in your gas tank. And so how do we know that we can trust him? How do we know? Does God just expect us to take his word for it? Well, surprisingly, no. No, he doesn't. God doesn't just demand that we take his word for it. Surprisingly, he actually gives us tangible proof. He gives us proof that he's trustworthy that we can go to him, that we can believe him, that we can trust him. And so today what we're doing is we're diving back into the book of Exodus. Uh, last year we started this new series going through verse by verse through this incredible book, the book of Exodus. So we're going to dive back in today uh, at chapter 7. And what we're doing is we're entering into a part of Exodus where there's this long section, very famous section of the plagues. And what the plagues do is they give proof. They give proof that God 
can be trusted and that his promises will come to pass. And what's the promise? What is the promise? God promised his people, the Israelites, that he would personally deliver them from grinding slavery in Egypt. He promised them that he would. And he promised that he would not only bring them out of their harsh slavery into freedom, but he would also bring them into a land flowing with milk and honey. My wife and I had the privilege of going to that very land several years ago, and it is indeed a land flowing with milk and honey. It is a marvelous, breathtaking, beautiful land. And that's what God has promised. It's what God promised his people. This new land of freedom and rest. And so he gives them proof. He gives them proof right in the middle of their suffering, right in the middle of their difficulty, that they can trust the promise. And so let's go there today. Let's go to Exodus chapter 7, if you have your Bible, and we will look at verses 8 through 13. 8 through 13. And if you don't have your Bible with you today, it's okay. The verses will be on the screen behind me. So today is the, it's really the prelude to the plagues. Uh, this incident is what triggers the plagues of Egypt. And so let's go there together. Exodus chapter 7, we're going to look at verse 8 to begin. Verse 8. The Lord said to Moses and Aaron, When Pharaoh says to you, perform a miracle, then say to Aaron, Take your staff and throw it down before Pharaoh, and it will become a snake. So Moses and Aaron went to Pharaoh and did just as the Lord commanded. Aaron threw his staff down in front of Pharaoh and his officials, and it became a snake. Pharaoh then summoned wise men and sorcerers, and the Egyptian magicians also did the same things by their secret arts. Each one threw down his staff, and it became a snake. But Aaron's staff swallowed up their staffs. Yet Pharaoh's heart became hard, and he would not listen to them, just as the Lord had said. This is God's word. Okay, so as we said, not only are the plagues tangible proofs, but this incident right here, right before the plagues, these are all proofs. These are all neon signs pointing to the trustworthiness of Yahweh. Okay? That's what these are for. These proofs point to the reliability of Yahweh's message that is coming through Moses and Aaron. And ultimately, of course, they, prove, uh, they point to the trustworthiness of Yahweh himself. Now, today's proof in our story today, it was originally meant for Pharaoh. Uh, you see, Pharaoh wanted to see proof of why he should listen to Moses. Okay, so Moses has come to Pharaoh, the most powerful man in the world, and he said, hey, you know all those slaves that you have? Yeah, God needs you to set them free. And of course, Pharaoh's not going to be like, okay. He's not just going to listen to Moses and Aaron, right? He's going to need to see a little bit of proof <laughs> for it. Uh, he sets all of the slaves free uh, when, of course, his entire society uh, this incredibly prosperous society has been built entirely off of slave labor, okay? So, yeah, he's not just going to let them go <laughs> because Moses tells him to, right? So he demands proof. I need to see a sign that what you're saying is coming from the living God. And he gets it. He gets it. He asks for a sign, and he gets it. 
He sees with his own eyes Moses' staff turn into a serpent. And so what should have happened? Well, he asked for proof, and he got the proof. So what should have happened is he should have believed. He should have believed. He saw it with his own eyes. He should have believed in Moses' word, in Aaron's word, and in Yahweh. But he didn't. In fact, his his heart became even harder. It became even harder. Now, why is that? Okay, we'll talk about that in just a second. But first, I want us to think just for a moment as to why this story was told in the first place. Like, why is this in here? If it's just for Pharaoh, why are we reading about it? Well, that's because it really wasn't just for Pharaoh. Originally it was, but you know what? The Israelites of the Exodus walking out of Egypt toward Mount Sinai to meet with Yahweh, they were told this story along the way. The Israelites were told about the staves and the serpents and the magicians coming and about all the proof that Yahweh gave. Now why? Why were they told this story? Because God has asked them to do some pretty crazy things. And while they're doing these crazy things that God has asked them to do, they needed to know if they could trust this God and trust his messengers, Moses and Aaron. And God is so loving and so gracious, he gives them the proof. He gives them the proof. And so this proof and all the wild things that are about to happen in the next few weeks as we examine the plagues, they're all meant to convince not just Pharaoh, not just Egypt, but also Israel. They're meant to convince Israel that Yahweh is the one true God and that he can be trusted. So today, as you probably know, in, the, in 21st century America, people still want proof of God. They still need to see tangible proof. They ask for that all the time. You know, They need to see proof that God exists. And then when you show them proof that God exists, they're like, well, how, how do I know he's, he can be trusted? How do I know he's this loving and gracious God that you claim? Right? They want to see proof, and they want to see more proof, and they want to see more proof. Why should I listen to him? Maybe you're right, but why should I listen? And so what people forget or they ignore or diminish is this. It's that God has already given us. He's already given us one final proof of his trustworthiness. One far greater than a shepherd's staff. Far, far greater. We call it the gospel. We call it the gospel. It's on the board over here. This is what our teenagers call our cheat sheet. That's right, I put a cheat sheet up on the board. What is the gospel? The gospel is Jesus died for our sins and Jesus rose from the dead. That is the gospel. The gospel is the sign the final sign of the reliability of God's message. He's not giving us another one. That is our final, ultimate sign that God is good, that he loves us. In the crucifixion and resurrection of Jesus, we see the ultimate proof of God and all of his promises to us. You know, I've I've counseled many folks over the years and, and so many people, they'll say, but how do I know I'm forgiven? Like, I feel so dirty, rotten, <laughs> you know, I feel so dirty, rotten. Like, you, you tell me this and, and you tell me I'm forgiven, but how do I know? And you know what I do? 
a lot of times I'll office, uh, I'll uh, kind of turn that room into my office. I'll bring them out of that room and I'll show them the board. You know how you know you're forgiven? Because Jesus died for you and Jesus rose for you. That's how you know. They'll say, yeah, pastor, but how do I know that I'm fully loved and forever accepted by God? How can I be confident in that? Because Jesus died and Jesus rose. That's how you know. How do we know that our souls are eternally secure? How do we know that we can go through this life without fear? Because Jesus died and Jesus rose. We have tangible proof of the promises of God. And what we have is way better than a shepherd's staff. We have the cross and an empty tomb to prove it. Now, so what does that look like? We look to the cross. We look to the empty tomb. We look to the proof that God has provided. And what does it mean to believe it? What do we do then? When you're convinced that the proof is legit, what happens then? Well, what happened with Israel? Let's look at it. So, well, Israel, uh, they were about to walk out of Egypt. And they were, you got to remember now, Egypt was home. For hundreds and hundreds of years, Egypt was home. And so God was calling them out of the familiar into something completely unknown, completely unpredictable, right? And now I, I know people, they, they freak out when they're driving on a, an unfamiliar road in their own town, okay? But now imagine the anxiety in Israel. This is rough, what God is asking them to do. They're, they're leaving slavery, yay, which is great, but that's all they've ever known. Now they're walking into the complete unknown. And then God says something really weird, really troubling. He says, I'm bringing you out of Egypt and into the wilderness. The wilderness. Again, my wife and I have been there. The wilderness of Israel is rough. <laughs> it is rough out there, man. It is crazy hot. It is nothing but desert, sand, dirt, and rocks. It is rough out there. And God says, I'm bringing you out from slavery into the wilderness. And they're like, what? <laughs> Why the wilderness? Like what happened to all this milk and honey talk? Why are we going out there? To this harsh land. Why are we doing this? But Israel had one comfort. They had one comfort. Walking out into the wilderness. You know what their comfort was? Yahweh had already proven himself. He'd already shown himself. They'd seen with their own eyes the plagues rain down on the Egyptians. And so they knew, hey, this is weird. This is scary going out into this wilderness. But Yahweh proven himself. He proven it. And likewise, you and I, we go out every day. And we don't know what that day holds. And that day can throw all kind of wild things at us. If you're more than five minutes old, you know that. Life can throw some crazy stuff at you. And some really painful, painful stuff. I've heard y'all's stories before. Some of you are going through some incredibly difficult times right now. Life can be rough. I get it. 
It's been rough on me too. But we have the same thing that Egypt had or that Israel had. In fact, ours is even better. We know that no matter what we face in this life, no matter what life throws at us, our God has already proven himself trustworthy. We know. We know that we can trust him. So no matter, no matter what we face in our wildernesses, our hearts can be at rest. Even when everything around us is falling apart, we can be at rest because Jesus died, because Jesus rose. And so Israel, they took comfort in the covenant promises of Yahweh. They knew if God said it, then they could take it to the bank. <laughs> and that comforted them in the wilderness. They could be confident in their proven God. And so I know some of you here today have plenty of opportunities for anxiety. If you don't right now, anxiety is a coming. I can promise you that. Between your school, your parents, your children, your spouse, your career, your retirement, your reputation, your income, your health, your bank account. All these things can make you feel like you're walking in an unknown wilderness. But if you'll cling to the gospel, if you'll be convinced of the gospel, if you've accepted the crucifixion and resurrection of Jesus as the proof of God's faithfulness, then you can face anything. Anything. I'm not saying you won't cry. You will and I will. What I'm saying is, is you'll have peace in the tears. There'll be this underlying joy in the pain, in the struggle. Because you trust that God has already proven himself. He's already proven himself. And that means my anxiety can melt into peace. And for the ex-slaves of, of Israel, hearing this story on their way in the wilderness, hearing this story of stabs and serpents and magicians, they hear the proof of Yahweh's trustworthiness. And it would not only transform the way they felt, it would not only bring peace to their hearts, it would, but it would also change the way they thought. It would change the way they think. And here's how it would change them. You see, in the wilderness, in that difficult, dry, harsh land, as they're walking to Sinai, they start realizing this. They're not slaves anymore. There's no chains around their wrists, around their feet. There's no whips on their backs any longer. What they start realizing is they're free. They are the redeemed children of Yahweh. Likewise, the gospel does the exact same thing with us. As we walk through this life, as we raise our children, as we go to work, and as we do our daily activities, and even as we wander in the wilderness, we suddenly look down as we hear the message of the gospel and we realize there's no chains. <laughs> there's no chains anymore. I am not a slave to my sin any longer. I am not a citizen of the kingdom of darkness any longer. No, 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 no. Jesus died for me. Jesus rose for me. He has made me his own. He has made me his child. He has made me his citizen of his kingdom forever and ever. 
I'm free. <laughs> I'm free. I am a son or I am a daughter of the king now. No matter what I face out there in the wilderness, that truth remains. I'm a child of the king. He has made it so with his own blood. Now, what keeps us from believing the proof? Because this is very common. People will see the proof, they will hear the message of the gospel, and they'll reject it. They'll reject it. Now, what causes that? What causes people's hearts to be hard toward the gospel? I think Pharaoh shows us. You see, Pharaoh demands proof. i got to see proof. Well, Moses and Aaron deliver the proof. They give it right to him. In verse 10, Aaron throws down Moses' staff, and it becomes a snake. And this proof is meant to arrest the attention of Pharaoh. It's meant to convince him to listen to Yahweh. But does it? No, it doesn't. By verse 13, after the proof was given, here's what the text says. It says, still Pharaoh's heart was hardened, and he would not listen to them. So he was given the proof he'd asked for, but he refused it. He rejected it. The question is, why? Why did he reject it? What kept him from seeing the proof and trusting Yahweh? Why was his heart so hardened? I think we see the answer in what happened right after Aaron threw down the staff. I think we see it. You see, after seeing the snake with his own eyes, what did Pharaoh do? What was his response? He called for wise men and sorcerers. He called for his men to come forward. Who are these men? Well, they are the best and the brightest of Egypt. They're the priests of Egypt. He says, oh, you got a, you got a cool trick here, huh? I've got cool tricks too. Let me show you some. So he calls for his men, his magicians to come. And in verse 11 and 12, a group of them come and they do the exact same thing that Aaron did. At least it appears that they did, right? They do the same thing. They throw their staff down and it turns into a snake. Now, some have tried to explain this. Like, how did they do this? Was this a miracle? I don't think so. I think it was likely some kind of, it really was a trick because the text actually calls them magicians. So I think this was likely some kind of illusion. Okay, uh, And in fact, you know, we know there are some Arabic tribes uh, who even still to this day, they know how to hold a snake so that it stiffens completely. So that when you hold it, it actually does look like a staff. But then when you release the snake, it starts slithering and it'll slither away. So we don't know exactly how this happened. Some type of trick is what I guess it is. But at the end of the day, it doesn't really matter what happened here. The point is that Pharaoh saw the proof he'd asked for, but instead of being convinced, he copied it. He copied it. He replicated it so that he could dismiss it. He imitated it so that he could ignore it. He explained it away, you see. A legitimate miracle happened before his eyes, and he explained it away with parlor tricks. <laughs> Why? So he wouldn't have to bow the knee to Yahweh. It's as if Pharaoh reasoned in his heart. He said, there's no difference. 
There's no difference in Yahweh and our gods. They're all the same. And such cold reasoning made his heart ice cold, hard as stone. It made him content with the imitation when the miraculous proof was right in front of him. He'd just seen it with his own eyes. And so I think this is the answer to our question. I think people don't see because they don't want to see. I, I had an atheist friend uh, years ago, still a friend of mine, uh, but years ago he told me this. He said, you know, Dustin, if, if God would just show himself to me in some miraculous way, then I'd believe in him. And I said, no, you wouldn't. No, you wouldn't. You would just explain it away. You just explain it away. Uh, you, you know, you claim it was some kind of hallucination or something, you know. You just explain it away. You see, there's already gobs of proof. Gobs and gobs. I mean, have you ever walked outside at night and looked up? Yeah. There's gobs of proof around you already. But you only see what you want to see you only see what you want to see and the reason i could tell that to my friend is because i was exactly the same way as a skeptic myself i ignored all of the evidence for god <laughs> and i only accepted the atheistic arguments that i heard from philosophers and scientists i plugged my ears when it came to evidence of christianity oh but i was all ears to evidence to the contrary and here's what Jesus says in Matthew chapter 11 about this phenomenon. He makes this abundantly clear in Matthew 11. Jesus says that unbelief is not simply a passive lack of belief. See, that's what a lot of skeptics will claim. They will claim that their unbelief is simply a lack of belief. I just lack belief. And Jesus says, oh no, oh no. Jesus makes it clear that unbelief is not a passive lack of belief, but it's actually an active form of rebellion. It's an active form of rebellion. My friend didn't see God because he didn't want to see God. I didn't see God because I didn't want to see God. Pharaoh didn't see God because he didn't want to be God. Or he didn't want to see God, he wanted to be God. He's the most powerful man on the earth, you know. Pharaoh wanted to stay in control. Pharaoh wanted to stay on the throne. Pharaoh wanted to keep the crown. So he didn't want to see God. So what he did instead was he put his faith in a cheap imitation. Just like I did as an atheist and just like my buddy did. We put our faith in cheap imitations rather than the real thing. I believe in science. That's what I used to say. Oh, I believe in Modern philosophy. That's what I used to say. Just cheap imitations of the real thing. I had a counterfeit savior. I had a counterfeit God. But you know, Christians, Christians have counterfeit saviors too, you know. All kinds of them. And the Bible calls these idols. Idols. Now what exactly is an idol? An, an idol is anything in your life that absorbs your heart and imagination more than God. Anything. It could be anything. They come in all kinds of different forms. Okay? Idols come in 
Forms of religion, for example. Uh, even forms of Christianity, certainly. Each holding a part of the truth, but lacking the real grace and truth of Jesus. Idols come in forms of family, and your good looks, and sexuality, and personal achievement, and education, your intelligence, two-car garages, and politics, and wealth, etc., etc. An idol could be literally any good thing in your life. Any good thing in your life that you've turned into an ultimate thing. So there's nothing wrong with, your, with loving your children. Of course there's nothing wrong with that. You should love your children. The problem arises when you take this good thing, which is your children, and you turn them into the ultimate thing, the thing that gives your life meaning and value. Right? When you do that, what you have is an idol. You've made an idol out of your children. There's nothing wrong with working hard and trying to climb the ladder in your career. That's great. You should do that. The problem is when you turn your career into the ultimate thing, the thing that's most important to you in your life, then you don't have a career. You have an idol. You have an idol that you're worshiping. Idols come in all kinds of different forms. I have several myself. And like Pharaoh, here's what we do, just like Pharaoh, we've convinced ourselves that there's no difference between that thing and God. We say, yeah, it's okay. It's okay to make my child an idol. It's okay to make my career uh, an idol. It's okay to make my intelligence an idol, et cetera, et cetera. It's okay. It's the same thing. Now, we would never really say it that way, <laughs> but that is how our hearts are functioning. Our hearts are functioning as if there's no difference between the two, but there is. A big difference. The story here that we read today shows us that. There's a, there's a big difference between Yahweh and counterfeits. Right? We see it right here. Yahweh and the priests essentially did the same thing, right? They both turned staffs into snakes. But though the signs seemed exactly the same on the surface, the counterfeit was eventually exposed, wasn't it? Do you see that? How so? Because Yahweh's proof swallowed up <laughs> Egypt's proof. Aaron's snake eats the other snakes. And so now the priests of Egypt and Pharaoh, they've got nothing to lean on anymore. The impotence of their serpents and their gods has been revealed and leaves them without support. Similarly, there will come a day when your idols and my idols, our counterfeit saviors, are exposed. Side note, quick side note, this is one of the many benefits of suffering. Suffering has many great benefits. This is one of the best, though, one of the most important benefits of suffering. Suffering shows us who our counterfeit saviors are. See? Suffering shows us who we're really looking to for value and meaning in life. And on that day, whatever our idols are, they will leave us as empty-handed as Egypt's priests. The impotence of our counterfeit saviors will leave us without support. And when that day comes, what do we do? Well, we do what Aaron and Moses did. You see, Aaron and Moses, they had tangible support from God's 
staff. Because what did Aaron do as soon as this little incident happened? As soon as it was over? He picked up that staff again. And he went on his way. He's literally holding the staff. He's holding the proof that his God is in control. So Aaron and Moses, they had tangible support in God's staff. And you and I, we have tangible support in God's gospel. We have the same thing. It's actually way better. <laughs> it's even better. In the crucifixion and resurrection of Jesus, we have proof that God loves us. Proof that God forgives all of our sins. Proof that God has accepted us. Proof that God has a plan for our lives. Proof that God will turn this suffering that we're enduring around for our good. We got proof, baby. Tangible proof. And this is the big, big difference between Christianity and all other religions. All other religions is essentially just spiritual, moral mumbo-jumbo. It's more of just a philosophy, really, than anything else. A moral code that is not Christianity. Christianity is 100% rooted in tangible historical events. 100%. If you can prove to me that those events written on that board never happened, then I will throw a Bible-burning party in our parking lot. I'll help you burn your Bible. If you can show me those events never happened, the Apostle Paul himself said, if Christ isn't raised, then we're the most to be pitied. This whole thing's worthless. But it's not. Because Christ has been raised. He does live. He does. And so here's what I'm going to do. If you're a skeptic here today, or if you have someone very close to you who is a skeptic, you don't believe in the crucifixion and resurrection of Jesus, you still have some doubts that those events really took place. Here's what I'm going to do. As soon as this service is over, I have a free gift for you. Because look, I get it. I used to be a skeptic myself. This is hard to believe. <laughs> it's hard to believe. I get it. All right? So if you or someone close to you struggles with this, struggles to believe the resurrection, I have a free gift for you. It's a book written by who I consider to be the world's greatest scholar on the historical evidence for the resurrection of Jesus. I'd like to give you that book. Very easy read. It's, it's meant for um, a more popular audience. So it's not a scholarly level, level book, but it does have... Uh, very, very high-level arguments in it for the historicity of the crucifixion and resurrection, okay? So those books, there's a stack of them over there on our T-shirt table. The title of the book is Did Jesus Rise from the Dead? Okay? If you're a skeptic, grab the book. Free of charge. It's yours now, okay? Or if you have someone very close to you that you know is struggling with this and you'd like to give that book to them, grab it, okay? I get it. I, I was there myself. I struggled to believe. So please grab that as soon as the service is over. That's first. But the last thing I'd like to say is, you know the gospel? What's on the board over here? This was the source of faith for the early church. The source. If you don't believe me, just randomly open to any page in the New Testament. <laughs> you know what you'll find there? The gospel. 
It's on every page. This was the source of faith for the early church. Jesus' resurrection was the proof that Yahweh was once again on the move to set slaves free. It's the proof. It's what they turn to in their time of need, in their time of doubt, in their time of struggle. It's on every page of the New Testament. And so if you're here today and like the apostles, like the early church, you're convinced. You're convinced of this truth, this historical truth that Jesus did in fact die and Jesus did in fact rise again. If you truly are committed to that and believe that, then do this. Here's what you can do today. You can leave here this morning with joy, with a smile on your face. I don't care what you walked in here with. I don't care what kind of sins you've piled up this week. I don't care. That's irrelevant. I don't care what kind of difficult situation you're facing. That's also irrelevant. It's irrelevant. Because if you believe that this is true, then you can, my friend, be absolutely confident that all your sins are forgiven. You can be absolutely confident that the one who began this work in you will see it to completion. Because Jesus died and Jesus rose and that means all of his promises are true. Everything he said is true, including the forgiveness of your sins. It's all true. You can leave here with supernatural peace in your heart. I don't care what you're facing. I'm not saying you won't cry or you shouldn't cry. I'm saying you can have peace in the tears. You can. Because Jesus died and Jesus rose. You can. You can have the supernatural peace won by Jesus through his death on the cross. You can have it. It's yours. Leave here today with this peace that will calm your anxious heart in whatever circumstances you face. Our God, as you can see, has gone above and beyond <laughs> to prove himself trustworthy. He gave us his son. He gave us his son.